0: everyone. This is Brian. This is Behind the Scenes with Brian. And today I am joined by Sam Rivet from Photosat. Sam, how are you today?
1: Good, Brian. Good. Thank you for
0: having me on. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm, so I'm in Denver and we're having a beautiful, almost spring-like day today. We had six inches of snow a couple days ago, but the sun's out and the birds are singing and totally different uh, weather. So, So where are you right now? i'm in uh, calgary alberta
1: canada uh, ah okay similar weather you know one degree celsius very sunny nice day
0: well here it's gonna be up to 52 fahrenheit so that's a, a little little warmer anyway for sure yeah so i got my masters in edmonton so i understand the weather there, although I know that you get some nice Chinook winds in the wintertime that warm things up a bit.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think we're in them right now, and uh, you always just want them to last as long as possible.
0: Yeah, for sure, for sure. Well, S- Sam, tell us a little bit about yourself, your your uh, background, your education, whatever you want to share with us.
1: Yeah, sure. I guess I'll start really at the, at the very beginning, because uh, maybe the most compelling thing about me is... This is potentially my mother's story, and yeah. okay. uh, maybe your listeners would be interested. Yeah, so my dad grew up in Montreal, Montreal area. Uh, my mother grew up outside Cairo in Egypt. Um, you know, when she was she was 13, her her dad passed away, and she was actually sold. Uh, you know, as like wow. a laborer to a, to a Libyan family, um, and she worked for them. You know, as as a, as a you know growing up, they eventually moved to Montreal uh, when she was 18. They were, they were like, you know, your your you your service is done. You've done your job. Uh, you know, wow. Wow. um, so she left, uh, she left her home and, uh, you know, started high school at 18, uh, learned English, learned French, uh, was able to get the marks to, to get a, a full scholarship into, into university. She met my dad there. Mm-hmm. Um, they, off and, uh, yeah, here I am. So. Yeah, I think that's, <laughs> I, I think of that a lot and uh, yeah, I'm just, I'm proud of her.
0: Yeah, yeah, what a life. Um, there must be a lot of stories in there.
1: Yeah, for sure. She didn't
0: she didn't uh, share
1: that with me until I was in my 20s. Yeah. I was always, surprised. Uh, yeah. yeah, from there, uh, born and raised in Ottawa, uh, eventually attended Queen's University. Uh, bounced mm-hmm. around engineering a bit, applied mathematics, uh, then I was in civil. Eventually landed in mining. I graduated in two thousand and eight from their mine engineering program. Uh, from there, I went to, to Fort McMurray. I worked at the uh, Horizon sand mine <laughs> for, yeah, for six yeah. years.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I did my rotation there uh, first in tailings as a tailings engineer, uh, then in the uh, projects department. You know, doing different construction projects to support the operation, uh, and then I was a mine efficiency engineer. I think it's very similar, probably to a dispatch engineer. You know, spending a lot of time with the dispatch system, analyzing the data, creating the reporting, okay. yeah. uh, reconciling. Um, then my wife got a, a really good opportunity in Calgary with Stantec. Uh, so we relocated there. Uh, I got a job in consulting um, at Northwest Corporation at the time. Uh,
0: they've mm-hmm. actually since now, also been... Relocating. Now part of Stantec, yeah.
1: <laughs> I think we'll eventually all be part of Stantec. Right, right.
0: Uh,
1: yeah, the way things are going. Um yeah, then from there, uh there was the downturn and you know Norwest kind of uh significantly reduced their number of employees, especially in their mining department. So I shifted my focus to civil. Uh, I did highway construction uh here Mm -hmm. in Calgary for three years, Mm project engineer. Uh, and then eventually landed a Photosat three years ago. Uh initially as a as a sales engineer. We're in a sales role now in solution engineer role so looking more product development hmm. and things like that
0: okay okay awesome awesome so uh, what what does photostat do
1: so photostat's been around for almost 30 years now i think it's 30 years this year if i'm not mistaken uh founded by jerry mitchell uh now run and managed by andrea mitchell so still you know a family company which I think is is quite rare. And I think definitely affects uh, the culture in terms of maybe quality over capitalism. Uh, So I think it really made a name for themselves using the best satellite surveying out there. Um, Mm -hmm. In my opinion, obviously I'm I'm quite partial uh, to do a lot of satellite surveying in terms of taking uh, optical satellite imagery and producing 3D topographic surfaces from it. Uh, and also do a lot of alteration mineral mapping huh. uh, so we work with a lot of you know large open pit mine sites a lot, a lot of mining companies in different capacities i would say in surveying um we do uh you know mostly operational large open pit mines with large tailings facilities obviously if you're on a mine site you have your own survey department you have your surveyors you know you, you may have a drone program uh but Eventually, you're going to need to probably reset your survey database with a more comprehensive surface. You know, throughout the year, you're adding smaller pickups. Every time you add a a smaller data set, you know, there's the potential to introduce errors. So, a lot of sites like to reset that with something that cover their entire site that's more comprehensive, third party, obviously. Um, And some sites just have difficulties, I think, surveying these large tailings facilities. You know, access can be an issue. Even flying it with a drone in in a day or two can be difficult. So, uh, you know, a big advantage is everything is captured at a specific moment in time, in terms of the imagery. So the survey born from that is is uh, also timestamped. at uh, uh-huh. a specific yeah. moment. Yep. Yeah. We do a lot of uh, alteration mapping, uh, you know, for exploration purposes. So this is something that kind of, I learned new when I, when I started at, Photosat was, you know, essentially the, the, the satellite images uh, that we work with, you know, each pixel is made up of, uh, you know, what what's the visible wavelengths to us, you know, red, green and blue. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's also a lot of, you know, wavelengths that, you know, aren't necessarily visible, like near infrared, uh, shortwave infrared, uh, that you can incorporate in there. And, you know, you can use that for different purposes. Yeah. Uh, namely, to to pick up on the spectral signatures of different minerals, um, yeah, yeah, and things like that.
0: Okay. okay, and one of the things that I was really interested about your your company, and you posted some things on LinkedIn about the Jaegersfontein tailings facility in South Africa, and um, and what uh, what you Found out about it. Could you describe that to us?
1: Yeah. So the 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 Yeager's Fontaine um, Italian Storage Facility uh, recently failed on the, uh, initially September eleventh, twenty twenty two. You know, it had been a facility that had been around for a long time. Uh, went fairly dormant in the seventies. Um, you know, kind of ceased. Changed ownership in, in twenty ten and became active again. Uh, and, you know, we had been involved in the Fajau and Fendel, um investigations in terms yeah. of supplying like photo data mm-hmm. uh, and topography for those investigations. So we had we had experience doing this uh, in terms of, you know, applying the tools that we've developed towards um, looking into these forensic analyses. And we wanted to, um, you know, put a case study out there Utilizing that information, utilizing our t- to, to see what we could do it for for this particular facility. Um, yeah, and we combine different aspects of of, you know, what we do uh, in terms of producing topography uh, from newer uh, high resolution commercial satellite imagery, producing topography from, you know, satellite photo data all the way back to the 1970s, uh, applying a lot of that those tools in terms of utilizing the non-visible bands in the satellite data to to, to map things like uh, the location of water, uh, the the moisture level entailings, Uh, you know, and putting that all together uh, to provide, you know, some insight into into the history of the facility. Uh, But also, you know, with these case studies, I guess what what I'm trying to, to communicate is this is just kind of what, you know, what I know, what we know how to do with the information that we have. And I'm personally limited by the experience, by the industry experience that I have. You know, I have some experience on the mine side. I have some experience in civil construction, but I just kind of want to maybe put this out there, have people look at it and think, okay, well, what else could we do? What else can they do? Um, yeah, you know, and just take a look at these reports and and uh, and think about what information people would want, and maybe we can find a way to get there. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I guess um, uh, more specifically, you know, we had we had uh, satellite photo data uh, that was shot in stereo from different periods of time. So uh, with with these optical satellites, you know, they're going to shoot things from one perspective. So yeah. when you shoot something from one perspective, you have that, you know, you have that image. You know, you can't produce topography from it, but it's, you know, a good snapshot of the site at a specific moment in time. And, you know, you can get a lot of information from that. Uh, in certain situations though, these these areas are gonna get shot in stereo, So from two different perspectives, uh, seconds apart, or even, you know, sometimes days or weeks apart. And then from those two images, from that change perspective, you can produce, Topographic surface data, three D surfaces, DEMs, you know, terrain models, whatever you want to call them, mm-hmm. uh, and we had, uh, you know, we had four of those. Uh, one from February fourth, nineteen seventy seven, uh, from the Keyhole satellite constellation. Now, the Keyhole satellite constellation was uh, a satellite constellation that the U.S. government was using to monitor uh, Russian interno- intercontinental bombers.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, so the original intent. So they're just shooting areas all over the world in stereo. Uh, it was yeah. declassified oh. in Greece. Uh So we can we can use that. Uh, so it's like it's on Mylar film. Uh, we, you know, we reach out to the National Archive of the United States, they scan it for us, they send it to us. And, and we've developed the, the ability to take that and produce topographic surface data. Uh, then we had some, you know, much more recent uh, commercial data from uh, from uh, uh, the Worldview Satellite Constellations in 2011, on February uh-huh. 26th and the 9th, uh, from 2017, October 2017, and post-failure, uh, recently post-failure, on yeah. uh, September 16th and 24th, 2022. So yeah, the first thing we did, you know, as we as we always do is, um, you know, we took that that information, that stereo data, and we produced the topographic surfaces. Um, and, I, you know, gives us some information, you know, you can immediately use that to do things like run, run the surfaces against each other uh, to get volumes, um, you know, do measurements. You know, we did a lot of, of freeboard measurements in the report at these different periods in time, um, you know, cross section, beach length, things like that, you know, just physical measurements based off the off the data. Uh, and then, you know, what I like to do is create boundaries from what you can see in the photos. Know, yeah. Different geotechnical boundaries. Um, you know, where's the embankment structure? Where's the supernate pond? You know, where are the tailings? Mm-hmm. Um, where is the toe? And and you know, you can get a lot of information just, you know, taking those boundaries, geolocating them, and then just overlaying information over each other. So one thing you know you notice immediately is when you take that twenty twenty two dike footprint post failure and overlay it over previous years you can see there's you know there's a water body a silty water body to the south uh that's within that footprint so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, i'm not I'm not qualified to to make any type of uh assessments on on what but i'm trying to communicate information so that's something that i know some tailings engineer that caught the attention of some tailings engineers um and then we use those uh those non-visible uh color bands from the satellites to assess, uh, the level of moisture in the tailings, uh, yeah. to look at the evolution from where it was in, in 2011 to where it went in, uh, you know, 2017, 2022. Um, and uh, I feel like I'm rambling a little, but, uh, another, another aspect that we used was, uh, you know, our ability to reconstruct topographic surfaces now. In this particular report, I would say it was, it was more lightly done. You know, what we had was a, a recently post failure surface on yeah. September 16th, 2022. Yeah. Obviously it would have been great to have stereo imagery on September 10th, you know, right before it failed to, to right. have the exact constitution of the dike. Yeah. But, uh, but we didn't have that, but we did have mono imagery from the Sentinel satellites from September 6th. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we had that post-failure topographic surface. Yeah. Uh, and you could see that the, the the western portion of the dike was 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 you know completely intact, and that eastern portion, you know, especially where it failed, but the entire eastern uh, embankment structure was damaged. But you can extract information, you know, from that topographic surface on the west side. You can see the width of the crest, the slopes, uh, you know, where the tailings contacts the upstream slope and you can use that information to rebuild uh you know the 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 geometry of the facility prior to failure on september 6th so that's that's being incorporated in there as well uh and really we wanted to do that to get an estimate on the amount of volume that left the facility um i hadn't really seen that anywhere in terms of of what i was reading Uh, i know i talked to some groups that said they were basically going to survey the entire downstream corridor Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah most failure, and yeah. try to get a volume away. So, yeah, that's so you really wanted to to kind of apply the different tools that we had available to us to this particular situation to see what what information, you know, could be uh, could be determined,
0: what we could do. Yeah, interesting, interesting. So I, I happen to live in South Africa for four years, uh, a couple decades ago. And there was another A very notable tailings failure in South Africa in 1994, the Mary Sprite tailings facility. And they also used satellite images there to try to piece together what happened just before the failure. Not not with the level of science you're talking about, but at least they could tell where the supernatant pond was, was it migrating in one direction or another, and was there any visible wetness on the outside of that, that kind of thing so it's it's uh, interesting how far the technology has come from just being photos so you could try to imagine what was going on to actually being able to see in three dimensions what the facility was like before and after.
1: Yeah, I think with with right now, with the uh, the way the industry's headed and and the focus on these tailings facilities, Um, you know, it's an opportunity for companies to really, you know, innovate and, and try to do things that, you know, we have, like, we haven't done before, uh, even, even with Jaeger's Fontaine, you know, I'd never assessed, I'd never use, um, you know, the, the color bands on the satellites to assess the level of moisture in the tailings. Yeah. But, you know, there was, there was obviously some information online talking about, um, you know, the level of fluidity of the tailings prior to failure. So, you know, you think, wouldn't it be nice if we could? And then you talk to someone who who knows a lot about this kind of stuff and they're like, yeah, we can do that. Okay, well, let's do that. Um, Yeah. And we've, we've applied these types of processes, uh, to, you know, to to specific tailings facilities for clients that may be missing as built data. Um, they don't have the kind of granularity and the information that they want really when I heard that we had the capacity to go back to, you know, the 70s, that we could, there was this archive of satellite photo data that you could tie into to to produce topography, but also to just extract information in 2D and bring that into, um, you know, three dimensions. My first thought was thinking about the, the, the geotechnical model on the tailings facility that I worked on at Horizon where we had, you know, the different pieces, the different components of how this facility would eventually be. You know, this is where you can place that inner burden. This is where you can place the clay. Uh, This is where the sand blanket's gonna be. This is where the general fill is. Uh, And I thought, well, wouldn't it be neat if we could do that retroactively to these older facilities and remodel all components. And obviously you're gonna need a lot of granularity in the data. Um, At times it's gonna be a lot of work, but, you know, I think there's enough information out there where, you know, you're cross-referencing what you can see on photos to the topography that you can produce. Um, you know, you can see features, you can use your experience on, you know, what's, what's an appropriate slope for the tailings in these situations, what's an appropriate slope on the embankment material. You can start to reconstitute these things to a pretty good level of detail. Uh, and, you know, I brought this up before we started recording, but as you say, you know, not all, you know, all models, are wrong. Um, you just hope that they're useful. I think I be people your yeah, quote, But yeah. <laughs> you know, that's really what you know, we're, we're going for is is to provide a level of information uh, that you can back up with with photo evidence with um, topographic surface data uh, to uh, to give people insight into these legacy facilities that maybe around a very long time that have changed hands um and that a lot of people are just kind of blind and, and don't really know
0: yeah and there's a shockingly large number of tailings facilities that i've worked around that don't have as built information so this is really uh very useful and even even specific components like an argument over whether a filter was constructed into a facility now like like you say you have to have pretty good granularity of the data to be able to see if on this day or this week or this month uh they were putting in something that looked like it might be a different layer so it kind of depends on if the data is there or not but it, it does provide hope to be able to solve some of those arguments
1: yeah we were working on a a reconstruction project and uh you know it was we had the we, you know, we had that original ground surface because, you know, the ability to go back to the 60s and 70s and produce to- this topography, really what it does is you can get original ground surface, which yeah. oftentimes is missing. So at the very least, you can kind of get an overall volume of your facility, which I think is, you know, is, is important, um, especially when you pair that with, uh, uh, you know, for your damage analysis and whatnot. But for this particular situation, you know, I was we were reconstructing the starter dike. You know, I I could see, you know, in those initial years, there was a starter dike. You can see the crest. I can see the toe. You can see where the toe contacts that original ground surface. So you can see the benching. I'm fairly confident, you know, this this starter dike is probably fairly close to how it was. Um, But, you know, I wanted to check the volume that I was getting in, in, uh, you know, from running the original ground surface to that, you know, reconstructed starter dike, And I could see there was, you know, an area that looked like it had been borrowed. Uh, that they were probably sourcing the material from. You know, it was a shorter haul. It made a lot of sense. But there was also the pit. Um, you know, so they might have gotten a pit. You know, there might have been ways from there. Uh, so, you know, that's where, I, you know, using those those non-visible color bands, you know, that that material that was um, that was burled released a spectral signature. And it was the same spectral signature that was in the film material on the starter dike, which was different than what was coming out of the pit. Oh. So, so then, you know, you can, you can, based on the footprint of what had been burrowed, you can kind of estimate as to how much material came out of the cut. Uh, you know, you count for topsoil, maybe compaction and yeah, stuff like that. Yeah. And it very well with what was in, you know, that reconstituted, reconstructed shape of the starter dike. Um, so it gives you confidence in what you're doing. So just, you know, combining different things like that to, um, to just try to create something that yeah, You know, yeah. you know, not exactly what happened, but you're just trying to get
0: close. Yeah, that's very cool. That's very cool. You know, you know what, Sam? I think I've covered everything I wanted to ask you. Is there something that uh, you were hoping I would ask, but I haven't? Um, no, no, nothing really. I
1: think one thing that I didn't mention is in terms of utilizing the archive uh i think it, it may be most useful for things like a damp breach analysis for those types of surveys yeah uh we have you know the these surveys are often you know hundreds of square kilometers you kind of need information mm-hmm. in a tight corridor um and and we do a lot of them because you can you can go into that archive and these areas have typically been recently shot, maybe not necessarily on the entire corridor on the same day, but different components of it. So, you know, we can go in there and produce these these topographic surfaces uh, of large corridors um, fairly quickly. And the customizable nature of of satellite surveying in terms of just utilizing the area of the picture that you want Mm -hmm. uh, helps you control, um, you know, what you're getting back um but yeah no i I think uh you know i think you know i've tried to cover uh most of what we did for jaeger fontaine uh honestly some of the more interesting aspects that we found out we did not actually publish Mm -hmm. um yeah i can i can speak to them a little bit maybe i've been told to be a little vague because the information is a little sensitive um one thing is, you know, just just looking at satellite images, you know, using survey data to orthorectify them to geolocate them, uh, you can see, you know, where features, you know, remain in place and where features move. So you're able to really monitor um, movement yeah. uh, in specific areas and things like that. Uh, so that's one thing, you know, that we noticed uh, is, you know, you know potentially areas that at different points in time uh, seem problematic. Um, but we didn't really want to, to get into that too much. And another thing that I was really interested by that I know my company is really interested by was, you know, prior to the takeover, that original TSF that was there in 2010, you know, how did it hold up through the failure within mm-hmm. that footprint? Mm-hmm yeah where yeah. it was um you know how much of that left the facility and of what left the facility kind of was there a reason for it um yeah. you know is there is there photo evidence of of activity there that 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 might be involved so i know i'm being pretty vague uh because i've been briefed <laughs> all right so if somebody's if somebody is very interested you know, they can feel their, feel free to reach out, and we can uh, talk about it more, um, you know, more privately. But yeah, so yeah, that's uh, that's kind of what we did. Just always trying to figure out what we can do with these satellites, applying that technology to these situations, and uh, trying to put something together that that paints a
0: picture. Yeah. Okay. I do have one more question for you. So, I've come across a couple of projects where they've done dam break analyses and they'll stop the analysis at a boundary where they no longer have topography and you know there might be some incredibly important things to know about what's downstream or the edge of the topography so is that something that you could put together is it uh, is it competitive with other, forms like if somebody had to have a brand new flyover uh is it something that people should ask you for a quote for just to get additional topography yeah definitely um so the
1: satellite imagery is taken in fairly large swaths Mm -hmm. Um, but typically if you're going to do a dam a dam breach, you know, you're gonna buy a corridor. You don't wanna, you wanna control your costs. Yep. So you're gonna get, yep. you know, a two, two kilometer wide corridor uh, for as long as you, you potentially anticipate um, uh, the material is gonna flow. But the reality uh, with, with the satellite imagery is there is typically much more satellite data available adjacently. Uh, yeah. So if you do run out of, of topography, you can come back and process, you know, the adjacent areas East and West and North and South, uh, and you don't need to go and uh, and do a, a new flyover. And oftentimes, you know, we've had that happen uh, with clients. And, you know, if they get back to us quickly, like, you know, we just finished, it's, it's you know, not three years later, yeah. it's, you know, uh, a couple of weeks, a couple of months later, you yeah. know, we'll, we'll just continue processing to the greater okay. extent. Also okay. the reality yeah. is for us, is we've probably already processed that survey data. You know, we uh, deliver what the yeah, clients yeah. work, but yeah. we're going to pre-process a lot more because we we want that we want to know the survey data in those adjacent areas because we use that as control to dial in the accuracy of the survey. So, yeah, uh, that is that that is a big advantage I think over over airborne lidar in these situations is is the kind of that flexibility
0: have the, okay. the data that okay. you you. Okay. That's, that's great. Like I guess just one more question or, or two part question, maybe if somebody wants to get in contact with you or your company, uh, how do they reach out to you? Well, what's your website, for example,
1: website is photosat.ca. So okay. photo, Sam, oh. one word, .ca. Yeah word.ca uh, yeah. you can reach me. My name's Sam. At photosat.ca. Um, so yeah multiple ways uh to contact us info at photosat.ca. also if you want to email
0: that uh that'll okay. eventually make you uh, uh to one of us yeah okay terrific well sam i appreciate your time today and it, uh, i would imagine you're a pretty busy guy it's uh friday and uh and i appreciate your time i'm gonna let you go but uh yeah i really appreciate your sharing your information with us no problem. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, have a nice weekend. You too. Well, that's it. I'm Brian, and this is Behind the Scenes with Brian. Until next time, keep on rocking.